Ahead is the full recording of a sermon and worship service at New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church in East Toledo, Ohio. We hope that you've chosen to listen to it because you believe that the Lord may speak to you through the sermon, through the message, and you want to have fellowship with God's people in this uh, technology-based way. We hope that as you listen, you will grow to new heights in Jesus. Thank you and God bless.
understand, take it for what it is. There's way more than meets the eye most of the time. And a lot of times you can actually see multiple things happening at the same time. So in this text, we're going to see some people who are going to encounter some multiple things going on at the same time. And also there's a group of people that have a history of multiple things going on at the same time. And I want to point that out to you as we go. <clears throat> and, I, and really I'm saying to you that we need to discern where the big things that are going on here are still going on today and figure out what to do about them. Okay, So that's what we're trying to do. And even as we sit here, you sit in the chairs, I'm standing here, whatever, there are multiple things going on. I know, I know people's minds drift, there's struggles like that, but I'm asking you to look for what's the, the multiple thing that we need to see here today. Okay? We began in the book of Joshua. Give me the, I'm going to give you, give you the 90-second commercial. We began in the book of Joshua. Remember that we learned, first of all, that Joshua's name was not originally Joshua. It was Hosea, son of Nun. But Moses called him Joshua, and that the word Joshua means... Yahweh saves, or God saves people, okay? And so Moses called him Joshua. In this story that we're reading, Joshua is now taking over in place of Moses, who was not allowed to see the promised land. So Moses was not allowed to go into the land that he led all of the people to, and that happened because while he was leading them in the wilderness at a certain period of time, he responded poorly to what he was supposed to do to God or for God, rather, what he was supposed to do to God's people. He was supposed to bring water out of a rock by speaking to it. Instead, he got mad. He chastised the people, struck the rock with the staff. The water did come out. The people got the water. But God said because of what he did there, he would never get to go into the promised land. So the people know that Joshua is a replacement leader, that the promises of God have fallen down to Joshua, that that which was made to Moses has now been delivered to Joshua. It was made to their fathers because remember that the people of the generation that wandered in the wilderness, they all died and didn't get to go in the promised land either. And so these are young men and women coming up. They're ready to go in the promised land now, some of them, as you'll see. And they, their fathers missed the opportunity of going in. And so this is a replacement people. And if I could say this, we are a replacement people in Jesus. God chose us to hear about Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to become followers of Jesus. And that message brought us near to God when we were far from God. And so the originally, originally God chose the Jewish people to be his people. And those who are the Jewish people that accept Christ, they still are his people. And so, but for us, we are a replacement people. And so that's this book in a nutshell up to this point. And I want you to think about that as we begin in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Somebody give me an amen. All right, or a woo would be nice too. I like that. That's good stuff. All right, here we go. I'm reading Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. God uh, is saying again to Joshua, and Joshua is saying to the people. So Joshua is speaking. Uh, let me back up to 5 here, okay? Uh, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's God speaking to Joshua. And then he says, be strong and courageous, which we've seen several times before, and we'll see it again before we're done. He says, be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous, to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. So before we go any further, I want you to see that, he, that Joshua is being told to be strong and courageous, which is interesting, isn't it? He was told to be strong and courageous by Moses, by God before, by Moses in front of all the people. Being strong and courageous is a big thing, especially because, you know, he's strong and courageous. 
He is. He led the Israelites at the Battle of the Amalekites, and they fought all day long and defeated a force that was much larger than them. God fighting on their side, but he, he fought on the front lines the whole time. He's strong and courageous. He's now going to tell the people of God what they need to do. He's going to be the new leader. He's chosen as a new... He's strong and courageous. And so for God to keep telling him to be strong and courageous is a, a none-too-subtle reminder for us that sometimes when you already have something, you still need to be reminded to have it. When you already are something, you still need to be reminded to be it. And that's a hint toward what we're going to see out of this passage of Scripture. He says, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land. I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe. So above everything that he was supposed to do, to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. In other words, do everything that you've gotten from Moses so far. And there's more to it in there, and I'll break it down later. Right now, just see that he's saying, be strong and courageous, strong and very courageous to observe everything that Moses said above everything else. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. So don't veer off the course of what Moses told you to do and you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction, he's referring to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five, first five books of the Bible. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe, and that phrase, carefully observe, is hugely important, everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. There it is again. He was called to be strong and courageous. He was being strong and courageous, and God keeps saying, be strong and courageous. He says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I submit to you that we can see just by the text that though God is saying this is going to happen, that the journey is going to be arduous. It's going to be hard work at some point in time. If he keeps telling him again and again, be strong and courageous, do not fear. It's going to be tough. And not just tough to do what he's been told to do, but also tough to follow every instruction that comes out of um, the book of instruction. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So he goes to the officers, the leaders of the people of God. Go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Now at this point in time in the story, the manna that they were receiving in the wilderness has not ended. That ends a little bit later in the book of Joshua, and we'll see it when we get there. So the manna was that stuff that settled on the ground and they could gather it up and they could make bread out of it or other wheat products. They grind it up. It was a, a little seed. It was not very tasty, but it was very filling and reasonably nutritious. And they could make anything that you could make out of flour, for example, or cornmeal, they could make out of that. So they're still receiving that. But they can't gather extra of that. They've never been able to do that, right? So this gathering of provisions is saying, even though God to this point is providing you with the manna, at some point in time between now and when we fight to take the land, that's going to end. So gather provisions. Now these people are essentially a nomadic people, a hunter-gatherer. They've gathered in the wilderness what they could, and, which isn't much because there isn't much in the wilderness. It was basically desert and dry lands. Um, but they are that kind of people. And so he's saying to them, go out now and do the work of getting ready because in three days... We're all going to go, okay? So I want you to see here that there are multiple things going on. 
What have they been doing up until this point? Gathering the manna, raising their families, tending their animals, tending their tents, protecting themselves from enemies, keeping watch, etc. What will they what of that will they have to do over the next 3 days? All of it. Right? They're all they have to do everything still. They still have to do everything that they've been doing. And now, on top of doing everything that they've been doing, they now have to prepare themselves to gather stuff for what they're going to be doing in three days. This is not unlike our lives, right? God gives us something to do, and you still have to wash your dishes and clean your house and take care of your car and manage your job and pay your bills. You still have to do all those basic things that people do, but then on top of that and during that and throughout that, you have to do what it is that God has called you to do. And then, on top of that, and throughout that, throughout all of that, you have to prepare yourself to be ready to hear what God next calls you to do, to do that too. You follow? It's a complexity. People want it simple. God, just tell me what to do, and I'll do that. This is what world religions are like. You got the ten points, right? If you, if you just do these ten things, you'll get to heaven one day. Or, if you failed at certain religions, if you go and die in a holy war... If you die in a holy war, you'll get to heaven one day, and this is what your heaven will be like. Just go die in a holy war. We want it simple, but the fact is, it isn't simple, is it? It's complex. You have to keep doing what it is that you're supposed to have already been doing while doing what it is that you're now called to do and preparing yourself to do what it is that you will one day do. In Christian life, that looks like this. We have to practice spiritual discipline, so we have to read our Bible and pray and serve and love others and worship and do those kinds of things while figuring out what it is that God has actually called us to do, preaching the gospel, serving in ministry, taking care of your children in such a way that they will be raised up in the Lord. Whatever it is that God has called you, you have to do the things you're already supposed to do and then do that. But all the while, keeping watch because eventually Jesus is coming again. And if you get busy reading your Bible and Jesus comes and you're too busy reading your Bible to go, then you won't go to heaven. If you get busy praying, you're busy praying when Jesus comes and says, let's go and you don't go, because you're busy praying, you won't go to heaven. So, all the while, being watchful. So now he's given them, essentially, and on the surface it looks like more to do than they can do. They're on the edge of a land that they don't know well, gathering provisions. They're about to lose their provision from God, which is the manna, and getting ready to go into the promised land. So, if you felt overwhelmed, you can sympathize with the men. And by the way, who was this instruction going to be to? It was going to be to all of the able-bodied men of Israel, leaving behind only the women and children, to maintain all of the rest of what was needing to be done while the men go off and do what they have to do. So now you've got women and children who are basically all of a sudden, they're all single moms. Might have seven, ten, twelve kids, and they're all single moms. And of course, they were going to work together as a community, Right? All, that's what's coming. And so they know that's coming. And so you can just imagine as they're going out now and the moms are becoming essentially single moms while they're going out to get the provisions, you can imagine the kind of conversations that are happening and the difficulty and strife that was being propagated in their marriages. All right. He said, go through the camp until all the people get provisions ready for yourselves. Within three days, you'll be crossing the Jordan. By the way, that looked a little unrealistic because they were going to be crossing the Jordan in the season where the Jordan is flowing. So for him to say they were going to cross the Jordan, they had to not only do everything I was just talking about, but they had to do it in faith, because there was no bridge. There was no fording place. And so they had to do it in faith. 
They had to walk away from their wives and children and do all that preparing to do something that God was going to tell them to do in three days while there was no actual way to cross the Jordan. And we will go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now these are interesting people. And, it, and the story comes from before the book of Joshua. Basically, very quickly, they wanted to settle on the east side of the Jordan River. And it was a land that was fit for all their animals and stuff. And so they went to Moses and they said, we're just going to stay over here. And Moses said, that would, can be, that would constitute a break with God. Because that is not where God told you to settle. And so he was about ready to pronounce a curse of destruction on them. And they said, well, we want to settle over here. But, 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 but wait, but wait. All our men, all of our able-bodied men, when they're ready to go in, we will all go in before them. We will take the front line. We will march the front. We will take the worst of the casualties. We will do the most of the fighting. We will do all of that to make sure that they come into their inheritance. Moses said to them, well, if you'll do all of that and you'll keep your word, then I award to you this land that we have won, that the Israelites had won by that point in time on the east side of the river. But if you break your promise, then you will have only the land that's awarded on the other side of the river. And that's interesting, isn't it? It's not much of a punishment, really, except that they would have no legal claim to the land that they wanted. So now, this is after Moses has gone to be with God, and Joshua says to them, Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. Your wives, young children, and livestock may remain in the land that Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your fighting men must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you and they too possess the land the Lord, your God, is giving them. So now we have these people. What were they doing? They weren't living off the manna. They were living off of the land. They had built houses. They had grown their flocks. They had defended the land against attackers. So these are people that were settled in the land that Moses had given them. It's not the people that were coming in now and, that were just about ready to take the promised land. They weren't The people that were settled in the land, they weren't getting the manna. They weren't getting God's ongoing provision other than through the land and through what they were doing, the daily work, and surely God was providing for them. Now they had to walk away from all of that, all that God had given them, and go march in the front, and probably some of them would die. Surely some of them would die, even though they were going to be blessed by God and whatever, they would you know, they knew that they would possibly die. So the women and children had to stay home. Now all, the whole nation of single moms behind fortified walls, but single moms so that somebody else could go into the promised land. And so imagine the conversations that are taking place there as they're now wrestling with, we have to stop doing everything that we were doing and go and do this for God. It's different, Right? These guys have to prepare themselves and they have to keep doing it for three days and then they're going to stop doing what they're doing and go do what God wanted them to do. And these people had to stop essentially immediately because they're stretched out all across the land. So they had to start walking toward the attacking point right away to, to, for everybody to be able to be there to go across the Jordan. Okay, almost done with the text. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everything... Everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you. Meaning we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to make the break that we promised and we're going to come and we're going to fight and do everything that we said we would do. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. 
And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words in all that you command him will be put to death. So Joshua's commands are now being given the strength of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You sin against God, you deserve to die. That's the reality. God created you, you sin against the one who created you, you deserve to die. But now Joshua's commands are being given the strength of God's commands. Anyone who does not obey him will be killed. And then they say, above all, be strong and courageous. Interesting, isn't it? They ask for the same thing from Joshua that God did. Now notice before we go into the points that they wanted it simple. They wanted it simple when they first went into the land. Right? Reuben, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the uh, half-tribe of Manasseh, they wanted it simple. Here's a land that's perfect for all of our crops. Why do we got to do all the rest of this? Why do we need to you know, go in there, fight for the land, take over their cities when it's all right here and we've already taken it and we can just have, that'll be simple, it'll be easy. It's all right here. We can have what we want. Simple. Just take it. And so they went to Moses and said, we just want to take it. And Moses said, you just take it, you're done. You have nothing to do with Israel. God will punish you. It's, a, it's it. You broke your promise to God. And they said, but, 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 we want it simple now, but we'll still stay in the fight. We want to collect our reward now, but we'll still stay in the fight. We'll still do everything that we're supposed to. And here in this, you see them saying, we'll do everything that we said we would do. We'll still do it. All our men will come. Everybody will armor up. Everybody will get their weapons out. We'll all do all the fighting we said we promised we would do. But they still want it simple because what do they say? Anybody who doesn't follow Joshua has to die. Anybody that doesn't do it will kill him. That's simple. What do you got to do? Just whatever Joshua says or else you die. They still wanted it simple. Now it's radical. It's crazy in a way, but this is what people do. It's what Christians do. You look at somebody who does something that you don't like and you say, well, that's a sin. They're going to hell. You don't get to do that. Matthew 7, we're not allowed to do that. You can't judge who's going to hell and who isn't. That's not your job, not my job. Okay. Now, if someone says they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and a follower of Christ, then the Bible says they're going to heaven, and if they're professing that, you should treat them like they're telling the truth. That's what the Bible says. But if they say they'll have nothing to do with Jesus, the Bible says they're going to hell. That's not our judgment. That's God's judgment. Okay. And you don't go tell them. That's the wrong message. Jesus said you go and preach that the remission of sins is available now because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the message. Not, if you won't accept the remission of sins, you're going to hell. That's not, he didn't say that. So our message is, you can be forgiven of every wrong you've ever done or ever will do by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's our message. The truth is, the fact is, that those who don't, yeah, they'll be separated from God and eventually eternally, but that's not our message. All right. They wanted it simple. We want it simple too. But it isn't simple, at least not that simple. All right. So let's look at the points. First thing I want you to see here is that God required of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to go in and really take a higher risk. You follow? He required them to march on the front lines. He required them to fight to the death on behalf of God's people in order for God's people to come into the promised land, those who had not yet, hadn't found their way yet. With whatever spoils of victory you have gotten, with whatever spoils of victory you have, whether you earn them for yourself or you think you earned them for yourself anyway, or God gave them over and it's an obvious blessing or somebody in your team or your family or your friends, 
blessed you in some way, with whatever spoils of victory you have, you are meant to invest that in another person's welfare. It's not for you. I know the American way is let's all save up so we can retire, have a giant boat, and sail the world when we're 65, or a giant boat that rolls on wheels so we can camp the world when we're 65, or so we can all binge on Netflix for 10 years when we're 65. That may be the world's way, but it is not the kingdom way. Every spoils that you have ever received, God calls you to put that out there at risk so that others can be blessed. There are poor people in the world who are poorer than you. I don't care if you have nothing. You're able to be here. You're able to sit in the chairs. You're able to be dressed today. There are people in the world who have less than you do, and you could be giving somebody a hand up. But even if it weren't that, even if it weren't that, spiritually speaking, you knew enough to come here to hear something today. You're seeking, you're wondering, you've got an active mind wondering about the truth. You've come to a moment in time where you're here hearing the word preached, and there's so many people who don't have that. There's so many people who are so jaded and upset that they wouldn't want it, and then there are others who couldn't have it if they wanted to. Do you not understand that this morning, Sunday morning, this morning, that little boys snuck through cornfields past men with AK-47s to be able to go and learn about Jesus? And there are countries in the world where that's the reality. And missionaries snuck in sealed boxes and in, in enclosed compartments, Bibles, to places where nobody's allowed to hear about Jesus. And it's highly probable that somebody was tortured overnight, last night, to find out who told them about Jesus, so the person who told them can be killed because this Jesus virus is spreading in lands where it's not allowed. And we came freely to this place to hear the gospel preached. We are blessed beyond measure. Yesterday I ran into two people. Uh, one, her name is Connie. She's running a garage sale. They're witnessing to her. She professed to be a Christian. And now she's thinking about partnering with us, the minister partnering with the Life Station, because uh, she has a friend who gets Campbell's Soup, and we need Campbell's Soup. And so she's thinking about doing that. But the point is, we, we, our sentiment and our conversation was, we are blessed beyond measure. When you find reasons to complain and whine, or you're upset, you're frustrated, you're angry at somebody because somebody did something you don't like, you need to realize you're blessed beyond measure. And if you're blessed beyond measure, your job is to take the spoils of your victory and put them to work so that somebody else can move to a place where they're blessed beyond measure. And then they can take the spoils of their victory and move, you know, if you were in a... Uh, a pool of mud sinking about to drown and somebody hauled you out and you knew there were two other people in there, would you just crawl up onto the ground and go, oh, thank God I didn't drown in the mud? Or would you think, you at least tell them there's two more people in there and, and I, I know where they're at and I can help get them out. That's what we're called to. They were not only called to share the spoils of their victory, they were called to do it in faith at a time when it didn't look like it was even possible because there was no way across the Jordan. They were called to do it instead of everything that they had been doing, building their fortified cities, taking care of their families, growing their crops, raising their sheep, they had to put all of that aside and come, and then they were called to do it at great risk to themselves. They had to walk the front line and wear their armor and their sword and line up in front of a thousand other guys who, if they win, those guys would get the spoils of the victory. So you're not only called to live in a way that other people can be blessed by what you have been blessed with, but you're supposed to do it at great risk to yourself. We're not committed enough. We're not, pour, we're not pouring ourselves out for other people, and we need to. 
If you've been blessed, if you've been saved, if you've got money in your checking account, if your bills are paid, if you've got a roof over your head, if you've got food on your table, if you've got children, you've been blessed beyond measure. And they may drive you nuts. And a bill may come that you don't think you're going to be able to pay. But if you can do any of that, you've been blessed beyond measure. If you've got one little piece of it, and your job now is to make sure that somebody else can experience a blessing. The second thing I want you to see, and the first one was, with whatever spoils of victory, we are meant to invest in another's welfare. The second thing I want you to see in there is that we like it simple, and in a way, God gave it to Joshua simple. And I'm going to break it down for you. It's not really that simple, but it's pretty simple when you think about it, if you, if you sum it all up. He gave him the role of law simplified. Okay, So... If you know what I'm about to tell you, you know everything you know about how to take the Bible and make it the guide for your life and then receive the rewards that are promised, whether or not you're saved. And people do it, by the way. People take the Bible and make the guide for their life when they're not saved and they're blessed in this lifetime. Tons and tons and tons of books are written, self-help books, non-Christian self-help books that are written on one proverb from the book of Proverbs. Some of the sayings that we quote that go back 200, 300 years from American history, and we give credit to Ben Franklin and everything else, they come from the book of Proverbs. Our nation was founded on biblical principles, and we're still riding on the blessings that arise out of living your life according to the word of God, except we're not living our lives according to the word of God as a nation anymore, which could bode poorly for the future. So God gives him the role of law simplified. He says, first of all, that the law should come out of your mouth all the time. Interestingly enough, he says you should recite it all the time. Reciting means reading it out loud. That's what reciting typically means. It can mean doing it from memory, but the implication is that it should be exactly what's written coming out all the time. We should have blessings to share with one another. You know that when you say you'll pray somebody, the best thing you could ever do would be pray scripture for them. Mostly we say, God, just God help them. That phrase is kind of in scripture, you know. Our mouths should be filled with the truth that comes out of the word. And then he told him, do what was written in the word. Do what was written. So you look in here and it says, do this. And then you do it. You want it simple, right? You go to the kitchen and you make in uh, something that's a relatively complex recipe, calls for 15 or so ingredients, and you've got to puree this and scrape that and boil this first and things like that. If you just follow the instructions and do so correctly, when you're done, you will get the thing that you were trying to make. If you fail to follow one or more of the instructions, instructions when you're done, you may or may not get the thing you're trying to make. If you throw out a complex recipe like that, and you've never made it before, and you throw out a complex recipe like that, and just do it however you think, you can pretty much guarantee you're not going to get the thing you were trying to make. Here's simple for you. Do what was written. That's simple. These are the instructions. This is what we're supposed to do. Even, and this is a kind of a dirty word in Christian circles, even do it religiously. In other words, do it every time. Do it because it's habit, even though you might not 100% know why you do it. Do we have to know everything that's in the Word of God, why we're supposed to do it? No, you don't. You don't have to know. 
You can logic with a little child and say, you know, if you lie too much, if you lie and get caught in it, people will not trust you anymore. And then when you tell them, they won't believe you. And, and that could be your reason for not lying. It was mine when I didn't, which wasn't very often because I lied an awful lot back then. But you can tell a child that, but it's rather complex, isn't it? Because as soon as you say, don't lie because then people won't trust you, you have to say, don't lie unless it's really, really important, right? Don't lie when they'll figure it out because then they won't trust you, right? And so on. So now it starts to get complex. But if you just don't lie and don't worry about why and just do it religiously, then you're still not lying, which is what God says he'll honor. And then I would say for Christians, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, I would say faithfully might be a better word. Just do it every time. Just don't stop doing it. Do what was written. Now, he uses a word in there, observe, and he's really telling Joshua to do according to what was written. That's super important because there are a few passages of Scripture that apply only to the people in that time, essentially. And so the people who were with Joshua were commanded that when they go into the land, never to have a, 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 they call it an outfit or a piece of clothing that had two types of material in it. But we wear clothing that has two types of material. That wasn't really written for us. That was written for them. So it would be obvious that they were different. If you would say, I'll never wear clothing that have two types of clothing because I'm being super honoring to God. I want to, that's why I'm doing it. I'm honoring God. If you would do that, then that could honor God. Right? That would be fine. But if you went to Melissa and said, Melissa, you can't do that. That's sin. You would be wrong. Because that's not given for us. So we have to do according to what is given there, even though that's not given for us. So if the scripture says, don't wear two types of clothing, like polyester and cotton in the same piece of clothing, if that's what was given, and that clearly was not given for us, then I ask you, how would you live according to that? And we're going to take a stab at it? How would we live according to that command, even though that command is not given to us? Because that's what we have to do. Well, the answer is, they were given that command in order to be a completely different people from the people around them. So now what's the command? Be different. Right? Don't be like the world. Don't be the way the world is. Now, you can do that by, for example, you can do that by saying, I'm never going to wear uh, short sleeves. Right? And people say, why did you ever wear short sleeves? It's not commanded in the Bible not to wear short sleeves. You say, no, but I felt like God would be most honored if I never wore short sleeves, right? I don't eat candy and I don't drink soda. And I'm, com I'm coming up on 16 years for the second one, right? And it's not a sin to drink candy and it's not a sin to drink soda. And I would never, ever tell anybody that they cannot drink soda or candy. But I do that to honor God. Just like the Israelites were commanded not to have two types of, they also were commanded not to have tattoos, but that's not a command for us. They were commanded not to have tattoos because the tattoos in that day were used for ritual religion. And they would look like people of other religions. So if you're going to honor that command, live according to that command, without saying, I can't have tattoos, then what would you do? You would say, I'm not going to look like a person of another religion. I'm going to look like a follower of Jesus. Whatever that takes. Right? But tattoos today are not about religion anymore. 99% of people who have tattoos has nothing to do with faith. And another 10% of them have tattoos that has something to do with Christianity. Because they've gotten a Christian tattoo of some kind. Right? A lot of people get tattoos that they later regret and so on. So if you don't want to be a person who regrets, make sure if you do get a tattoo, it's one that you can live with. Right? 
So what I'm trying to say to you is he told him to live according to what was written as well as to live by what was written. So do what's written, but also understand what was written, the purpose of why it was written, and live accordingly. And to do both of those things religiously and faithfully. He also said, do according to all that was written with respect to God's commands. So he said all. So you could say there are commands where you could say, uh, I'm going to do one thing. But over here in Scripture, clearly, it doesn't mean exactly what you're interpreting it to mean. It's not exactly what God would say do, right? Love your enemies, hate your friends. They were quoted, they were quoting Scripture. I said that back. Love your friends, hate your enemies, right? And they were quoting Scripture, but they weren't really quoting Scripture. They were misusing Scripture. And then Jesus says, love your enemies, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. So it's okay as long as I don't have sex with another woman while I'm married, right? But Jesus says, that's not only doesn't say don't do that, but also don't, if you have lust in your heart versus another person, then that, or for another person, then that is adultery. So he was saying, have it in your mouth? Yes. Do what is written? Yes. Do according to what was written? Understand it and follow it? Yes. Do according to all that was written. Take everything into account. Uh, by the way, I guess that means we're going to have to read the Bible because most of us don't know it well enough to do according to all that was written, do we? He was being told to check his conscience. What did his best understanding tell him was right, as well as what was in Scripture, and make the two work together? And he was being told to look at hints of providence. When God does little things and opens certain doors or whatever, pay attention to that. But check it versus Scripture. Advancements of opportunity. When God stops the water flowing across the Jordan, you go across the Jordan, because that's an opportunity and you take it. But make sure that it's what God has already called you to do. Otherwise, when that open door comes, it may actually be a temptation or a distraction rather than following the Lord. You have to observe everything that's going on around you in order to be able to have Scripture always in your mouth, in order to be able to do what was written, in order to do according to what was written, and according to, do, according to all that was written, you have to pay attention to what's going on. And sometimes there's more than one thing going on. And you may want to make it easy and just say, well, that person lied, so now I can write them off. But sometimes there's more than just one thing going on. In fact, if a, if a person sins, you know that evil spirits are involved, and they're not as easy to see as the person actually committing sin. Because the act of sin draws in evil spirits because they love it. It's like a warm bath. And so they get drawn in. And so you want to give them the credit where credit is due rather than hating a person you despise and fight against the evil spirits and demons that are involved. He was told to be strong and courageous. And, it, and most in this way that he would follow everything that was written there. He was being warned that there would be great discouragement, great weakening along the path. We would become weary and we were supposed to be resolute. And then maybe best of all, he was being given assurances of reward. If this was done well, if he followed the law well, then he would do well, and he would do well quickly. Because maxims, that's things you can live by, and blessings, that's things you get from God, are both in the law. There is no promotion alone. If you figure out something good to do, that it is commanded in Scripture, if you choose not to do that good thing, not doing it would be a sin, but doing it earns no blessing. You follow? 
Just doing a good thing, that doesn't necessarily earn a blessing, but doing a good thing because it's what God wants you to do does. I did a preschool lesson about a month and a half ago or so. It wasn't the last time I was in there on a Tuesday. It was the time before that. And we had the verses about being salty, right? You are the salt of the earth. And how do you get salty again if you become unsalty? The only thing you do is be salty. Just be who you're supposed to be. There's no making salt salty unless you add more salt to it, right? And so he was, he just needed to do what he was supposed to do. And then when it seemed like it was coming up short, which is sometimes happens with us, just do more of what you're supposed to do. That's why people can honestly say things like, you would do better if you just read your Bible more or if you just pray more. That's true. It's, it's quaint. It's oversimplistic. It does, it's not what scripture actually says. Right? It's not quoting the Bible to say, well, you just need to read your Bible more or pray more. That's not even, in fact, I wouldn't recommend doing that. But it's probably true, right? Because they are spiritual disciplines. They are things that we're supposed to do. And if you do it more, God will bless you more. But it's not necessarily a solution to the problem that you're facing. And so when you say that, you're really trying to make it over simple. So the role of law simplified was basically for him to be everything about what was written. Always in his mouth, always doing what was written there, always doing according to what was written there, understanding the context, understanding what it meant, always doing according to all things that are written there, and observing what was going on around him so he could realize that there were more than one thing going on at a time. He must not turn from the law to the left or to the right, God said, which means virtue is down the middle. And if you're going to hit the middle of the target, what do you got to do? Aim at the middle of the target. Don't aim within a couple inches of the middle of the target and hope the wind pushes it over. You aim at the middle of the target. So the scripture can say, be holy as he is holy. Will you ever be holy? Are you ever going to be without sin? Probably not. But you aim for the center of the target and live the best you possibly can by everything that you know and everything that you see. So you can get as close to the center as you can so that when the arrow strikes, it strikes close to home. That's what Joshua's commanded. That's what makes it simple. So this becomes simple when you start to realize that it is... It needs to be the focus. We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to live it. We think about how it applies now. How can I do this now? When I get out of bed and I'm struggling with getting out of bed, I should read the book of Proverbs and figure out how to stop struggling with getting out of bed. When I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do and I can't figure it out, I should read the Bible to figure out what is God telling me to do. And so on. The Bible is our guide and it would be Joshua's guide. And notice that he said, above all, be strong and courageous in this. And he told him about the law. And then there is a reminder of grace, which is interesting because we are a people of grace. We get what we get from God, not because we deserve it and you never can, but because Jesus paid for it and God desires to give it to us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He called those people out of Egypt. He led them to the edge of the promised land. They decided not to go in out of fear. After he had defeated Pharaoh's army and everything he had done for them, they decided not to go in out of fear. And then after he said, well, okay, now you're going to pay for it. Then they said, well, we will go in. And then they were defeated. And then they went wandered in the wilderness. And now this is the replacement generation. We are the replacement generation as well. Jesus died on the cross to save us so that God could be with us and never forsake us. So there are three things to see in there. First is, with whatever spoils of victory, invest in another's welfare. The second is the role of law is simplified in this text. And then the third thing is that there was a reminder of grace. And the conclusion is serious stuff. There's always two things going on in all the universe at all times. Law and grace. Always. There may be more than two, or there may be more facets, specific events, but there's always two things going on, law 
and grace. Every day, we're supposed to be making camp and breaking camp. Every day. You're not going to get out of bed one day and live a whole 24 hours without sin. It's not going to be happening. So, invest yourself in grace. Do what God has asked you to do and feel saved. Be saved. Know saved. And then from there, invest the blessings that you receive in another person's welfare because that's what we're supposed to do. There, invest yourself in knowing and living out the law because that's what we're supposed to do. But knowing and living out the law is also to know that you will make mistakes and you will not do what's right. So invest yourself in grace so that you can continue to be salty even when your salt is losing its saltiness. My dad, when I was younger, we had a garage. When we first got this garage in our new house, the first thing he did was set up his tool bench and his tool wall. Tool bench, drawers, everything is where I've been in Brother Tony's garage, and generally everything's like that. So hangs here, goes there, whatever you can find. Uh, you know, it's got a place. And then the second thing he did was he put together a tool box with a variety. Now, I've never done this, and I felt kind of stupid when I remembered, right? Because I've never done this. But anyway, he put together a toolbox. And I thought that was odd. I'm like, why would you ever need that toolbox? Why would you ever need that toolbox? I see all the tools right there. And if I want to do a repair, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to look, and there's the tools, or it's in this drawer, I know, because that's where I put it. And I'm going to get it out, and I'm going to go do the repair. Why would you ever need the toolbox? Because sometimes you're not going to be in the workshop, right? Why do you need to study, memorize, read scripture? Because sometimes you're not going to have a Bible around. You may want a toolbox to draw out of. Every day we are building where we are, right? And at the same time preparing for what's coming. And that's what law and grace is. By law, you live the way God wants you to live here on earth. By grace, you know you will fail to meet that standard and yet go to heaven when you die. So every day, by law we live to build the best we can, to be the best kind of person that we can. And at the same time, we live for Jesus because he will take us home one day. This was a major controversy in the New Testament, and so I'm going to read to you now, rapid fire, some verses. I know you won't be able to write all these things down, but it's okay. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Romans 4.16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. So this is, so that it would be, God gave the instructions so that it would be clear that some people would not follow the instructions. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound because after God saw all the people unwilling to follow the instructions, he then provided his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for those who refused to follow the instructions, which was all of us too. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. will no longer be ruled by sin. But for ye are not under the law, but are under grace. Romans 6.15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. In other words, follow the law. Do what's right. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 5.4 said, 
Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So in other words, if you think you can live perfectly under the rules of life, or if you think you will be a good enough person, then you are not going to receive the grace of God that will get you into heaven. That's what he's saying. Matthew 5.17 Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And continuing, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle, those are two tiny marks in the Hebrew, shall, not, shall in no wise pass away from the law, till all be fulfilled. And then later in the same chapter, And if any man will sue thee at law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So the Bible says, Whatever you want others to do to you, do it unto them. And so Jesus was ordering us to do what the law says, what the law and the prophets say. That's a summary statement. So he wasn't saying you're free from doing what the law says now. He was saying do what the law says. Here's a summary statement of it. Do that because it's what the law says. Almost done. For I am come to set a man at variance against his mother and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There will not be peace in households because people will be living the way God wants them to live and others will not be. Matthew eleven thirteen. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Matthew twenty two thirty six. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Jesus said unto to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. We do it because it's in the law and it's what's commanded of us. And all these, on these commandments, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. See, they were, they were picking the parts they liked and leaving some go. And he said, no, judgment, mercy, and faith are, faith are the most important parts, weightier parts, which means more important. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other. See, there's more than one thing going on. You have to be faithful and do what's right under the law and at the same time trust in Jesus for grace. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he said. All right, we come to the end. Grace is our spoils of victory given by God, earned by Jesus. Grace is our spoils of victory given by God, earned by Jesus. So invest grace in other people to bring them to the promised spoils as well. Love your neighbors, love your friends, give, be kind, go out of your way, stand up and take the hit so that they don't have to. Forgive them, give to them when they don't deserve it. Of course, give the gospel and the truth about Jesus, which includes an understanding of law and grace, but give to them when they don't deserve it. Work to minimize their suffering in this life. Love them. And Jesus would say, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In this passage of scripture, we saw three things. There's a lot more than three, 
But I broke it down to three things. You like it simple? Here it is. With whatever spoils of victory you have been blessed, however they came about, invest those things in another person's welfare. Secondly, the role of the law is here and simplified. Speak it, live it, understand it, understand the day in which you live. Look for a guide from the Lord. Do not turn from it, the right or the left. Walk the middle road. Be strong and courageous. And you will receive the blessings that God promised. And then a reminder of grace. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I want you to think for a moment. Is there someone that you know? A neighbor, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ. They've offended you. Maybe you've forgiven them, but you've not given them grace. And then ask yourself, if you've not given them grace, is it because you've not received grace yourself? And if you have received grace yourself, then give them grace. Lead anyone and everyone to the promised land. And you say, but it takes great faith. The Jordan River was still flowing. You say, but it takes leaving behind my personal preferences. They had to leave their wives and children to a man, the entire nation. You say, but it's a great risk. Someone may hurt me physically, psychologically, emotionally. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had to march out in front of the ally army and take all the casualties at first. When we begin to live like that, that's when the church, that's when the people of God can lead the people of the world to grace. That's when. And then it won't be trite conversations oversimplifying the gospel. It'll be people looking at you going, why did you do that? What? You're a freak. You're some kind of weirdo. Why would you ever do that? And you could say, I walk risky. I put myself out there. I suffer a little. I ache a little. And I do that so that others may know the joy and the grace and the spoils of victory that I have already received. Are you strong? Share your strength. Are you wealthy? Share your wealth. Are you brilliant? Share your brightness. Are you quick to speak? Share grace with your speech. Out of the spoils of victory that you have been given, love and share grace toward others. I have forgiven those who have broken my heart. And it wasn't even hard because I realized that I broke God's heart. And he chose to save me anyway. What about you? Will you begin to live like that? Can you be strong and courageous? Will you cross over? Will you accept the spoils and then turn them around and put them to work to love other people? Thank you for listening to all or a portion of this full-length New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church worship service. New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church is located in East Toledo at 255 Hefner Street, 43605. If you'd like to reach out to the church, our phone number is 419-469-8808. Our website is newheightsfellowshipchurch.org, where you can find lots more information about the church, its connections, and how to give. You may you can mail uh, information to the church at the address 255 Hefner, 43605. You can also give to the ministry in some way if you wish 
by texting G-I-V-E, G-I-V-E, to 419-419-0095. If you'd simply like more information and updates about the ministry, you may text I-N-F-O to that same phone number, 419-419-0095. If you'd like to partner with the ministry in some way, other than financial, you may text P-A-R-T-N-E-R, the word partner, 2419-419-0095.